Welcome to the 4th Down Experience, the podcast devoted to special teams. Your host of the 4th Down Experience, former pro free agent, nine-year professional kicking coach out of the Midwest, Coach Chris Hughesby. Alongside Coach Chris Hughesby is a former two-time Arena Bowl champion, nine-year pro kicking coach repping the South, Coach Brian Jackson. Welcome. We are here for the second episode of the Fourth Down Experience. We are glad you guys are here to listen to us. We have an awesome show. Chris, welcome. Hey, it's great to be back. Uh, just uh, riding the wave of the success of the first podcast. Got a lot of great feedback here recently, so uh, we'll tell you about it in just a moment. Yeah, we have a great show. Uh, we're excited. Uh, we've got a pretty awesome guest on our show today. Has a lot of experience. Uh, definitely. Uh, an icon, a uh, uh, very legendary guru in the special teams world, um, Chris. But before we get into that, let's talk about our weekend. Uh, how was your weekend, man? Uh, weekend was great. Just a lot of things going on. Uh, like I mentioned last podcast, uh, it's my wife and I's ten year anniversary. Congrats! So, uh, nice. Thank you, thank you. We celebrated a little bit uh, over the weekend, but had a lot going on. So we'll probably do a little celebration. A little bit later this winter. Um, still in cool. football season right now, so hard to get away. So once that's all done and wrapped up, then maybe go uh, get away somewhere for a little bit. Nice, nice. Yeah, shout out to Lou and Chris. Ten years of marriage. It's unheard of these days. <laughs> um, yeah. but anyways, uh, I just finished up uh, fall group training here in Dothan, Alabama, getting into um, more of my private lessons. Uh, and and pre- uh, prepping for our camps coming up. Hey, that sounds great. A uh, lot of great camp opportunities for these kids, and ones that we've done for what now six years. Is oh it yeah. Six years we've been doing all these camps together. Yeah, yeah. I think we're going on our seventh year together, and I think it's so, both of our ninth years com- uh, individually, right? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, well, might as well talk about that here. So, kids that are interested, um, in December we have the Southern Specialist Camp coming up. Brian, so how many years have we been doing that now? This is sixth annual. We used to do it in Georgia, and we've been doing it in Mississippi. This is our fourth year in Mississippi. That's great. And then actually, middle December, Brian and I will be doing our second annual three-hour mini camp up here in Minneapolis, Minnesota. December uh, 17th? Yep, December 17th from 3 to 6 p.m. Uh, college, high school, age level kids, uh, all welcome to come. Gonna have plenty of staff and, and great uh, individualized and development atten- uh, attention to your training. So. Yeah, and then and then we'll have the Northern Showcase up there in January yep. as well. Yep, Northern Specialist Camp held at St. Cloud State uh, in January. So uh, uh, we're excited about that. We'll give you more details soon. Yeah, and you guys can find out the camp information at either of our websites, teamjacksonkicking.com or specialteamsfootballacademy.com. Uh, and, you know, uh, Chris will get up that mini camp info here soon. Uh, so, hey, Chris, before we get into our top five plays segment, uh, talk about a little bit about our special guest so that way folks know to stick around and, and listen to this legendary coach. Yeah, so we're going to be interviewing Tom Feely here. Uh, great, phenomenal kicking coach, great person, does a lot in the industry, um, has been a part of it for a long time, um, almost a philanthropist philanthropist in a way as well with some charity work he does he'll talk about that a little bit later um but tom's uh 
had all of his sons uh, kicked, all did very well, had successful high school, college careers, and mm -hmm. uh, his oldest son, uh, Jay Feely, is his most is the one that played in the NFL for, I think, 14 years. So he's got a lot of great things to say. Um, I used to do camps with him for a number of years and learned quite a bit from him as well. So oftentimes when, when you know Brian and I talk about our development as coaches, there's always co people along the way that help you get there, and, and, and he was a big part of some of my development as a coach. So uh, we're excited to talk to him and interview him, and he's got some, some amazing stories about just life as a – kicking coach over the years and, and what it was like for his sons to go through the recruiting process. And that will lead into a number of other things we'll talk about later. So um, should be calling up Tom here in about 10, 15 minutes. So stay tuned. Yeah, it's going to be a great interview. Last week we had Mark Lewis, legendary arena kicker, still playing in the arena leagues, will be his 15th season. This week we have Coach Feely of Feely Athletics, He's been coaching for over 40 years. Him and uh, Chris have done uh, several kicking camps together. The three of us will actually be linking up soon uh, in 2018 uh, to be doing more camps together. So I'm excited about this interview, uh, even me personally, just to get to know Coach Feely even more. Um, I actually got to uh, collab with his son, Jay Feely, who played in the league for several years uh, back at the Super Bowl last week or last year in February, and, and that was exciting, and just getting to meet Jay Feely um, and how good of a guy he is. And I know uh, I know his dad is, is an awesome awesome guy as well. Yep. So, um, hey, Chris, before we get in our top five, talk about some history today. Yeah, so actually on this day 35 years ago was the infamous uh, lateral kick return for a touchdown for Cal Berkeley. So uh, who, who is Cal playing against? Cal Berkeley was playing against. Was it against Michigan, or let's see? Oh, was it Stanford? Was it Stanford? Yes, yes, Stanford. Yeah, Cal versus Stanford. It's called the play, the play. And it was in 1982 when it happened. Yep. So yes. What, so what, the funny thing about this play, I think it pretty much revolutionized kick returns, or at least last-second chances for touchdowns. Um, believe if you watch the video they lateraled it about seven eight times the funny thing is is most of the most of the fans even the band thought the game was over so the <laughs> marching band started coming out onto the field in the end zone to start playing the rah-rah song and, and sure enough cal is still relaying the balls and they're running through and zigzagging bam the crowds and, and they uh they scored a touchdown to win the game so, and uh so 35 years ago today so some so, of you young guys that probably don't know what anything we're talking about, if you've seen clips like before games where uh, older football player just is celebrating in the end zone and he just crushes a band member, this is the play we're talking about. All you have to do is go to YouTube and type in Cal Stanford, the play, 1982. Lots of history uh, today. And, and like Chris said, it kind of just changed the, the – change the, the history of the special teams game, especially in kick coverage and kick return um, teams. Yep. So one thing I just want to tell you, Brian, I was doing a little research before uh, our podcast, uh, just doing a little up-to-date analysis. Our very first podcast actually had over 77 listeners, subscribers, um, listen to the first podcast. And that was great. So I just want to thank all you guys wow. who listened and subscribed and you know hopefully you're going to like the content we have moving forward we got a nice list of things we want to talk about people want to, we want to interview 
So thanks to all 77 plus uh, listeners. Uh, so that's great. You know, and yeah, one did, thing that happened. Didn't 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 we even go international? We did. Yes. Uh, so first of all, I want to thank Clayton for this. Uh, a contact of mine, Clayton, who uh, who's been a great point of contact for me with with Brazil. Um, posted our podcast to a Brazilian Facebook group for kickers. So I uh, just want to thank Clayton for giving us a little bit of uh, international exposure. Thanks, dude. Appreciate yep, that. Thank you, and uh, looking forward to that type of thing. So, uh, so yeah, so, so basically, man, that, that far exceeded my expectations from the first podcast. We had over 70 organic listeners, if you will, uh, subscribers, if you will, on uh, majority iTunes platform and SoundCloud. Um, so that's pretty sweet, uh, especially for a niche market and special teams. That's exciting, man. You know, uh, Pat McAfee's doing great things with what he's doing. Um, but for us, kind of just this being our second one, uh, that's exciting, and, and especially hitting up Brazil. Uh, appreciate you, Clayton. Thanks for helping us out, for sure. Yep, exactly. Cool. So, so let's go into our top five here. Um Number five actually was submitted through our Instagram account through the fourth down experience, Ethan Collins five. Um, that's his Instagram name, Ethan Collins five. Give him a follow, maybe like a couple of his posts, spam it up. He actually sent us, he listened to the podcast, our first one, he subscribed and he sent a DM to fourth down experience on Instagram to us. We saw it and it made our top five this week. Uh, and it wasn't just to be nice. I mean, this was a legit top five. Uh, their team, he's, Ethan Collins is a class of 2020 kicker, 5'9", 120 pounds, located in Kokomo, Indiana. I'm very familiar with Kokomo. I played up in Indiana at Ball State. Kokomo was a cool place to go to. Um, he submitted his three onside kicks recovered in a row, Chris. That's amazing. I've yes. seen two. I've never seen three. So, a kicker successfully um, kicked, kicked an an onside kick three times, and it was the exact same kind of onside kick from left hash to the right three times in a row, and they got it every single time. Um, you literally can just go to you uh, to Google and type in Ethan Collins three onside kicks, and you can find it on Huddle. Uh, but their team was down twenty eight zero. And uh, he made he made three for three extra points. They got the onside kicks. Everyone was from left hash to right. Their team, their coverage team, did a great job recovering him. He did a fantastic job placing them in the right spot. And then their coach actually got probably a little too confident and, and wanted to go for it at the end of the game for two and didn't get it. And their team ended up losing 28-27. But a valiant effort by by this kicker and his team. And tell you what, for our listeners out there. We're going to post the link on our Twitter handle. So, yes. Fourth Down Experience, or at Fourth Down Experience, we'll post it here. So, um, take a look at it for yourself, all right? Yeah, we'll actually post your highlights, Ethan Collins 5. We'll give you a little bit of recruiting pub, and we'll retweet it on our own uh, handles as well, considering we have well over 3,000 college coaches that follow both Chris and I combined. So,. Thank you, Ethan yeah. Collins, for submitting this awesome f film. I'm watching it as I'm talking to Chris right now. I really like how you added the special effects on highlighting you and then your team. And just uh, nice job celebrating with the team. Fantastic. I love the I love the color scheme, this purple and black. Good work. 
All right, cool. Um, going into number four. Chris, talk about number four. So this one was an interesting um, onside or just kick in general. I guess you could say onside kick. I actually found it on SportsCenter. Um, what happened was is a kickoff team had the chance to kick off to their opponent on the 10-yard line, basically meaning they had 10 yards to complete the kick. And... Uh, very interesting. Coincidentally, a few weeks ago, I saw a kickoff from the 30-yard line after a team uh, received two personal fouls, which moved the kickoff line up to the 30-yard line. Um, and that team actually kicked it and uh, recovered it. But I thought this was kind of an interesting one that we wanted to talk a little bit about. Um, when you only have 10 yards to work with, what, what would you do, actually, if you were a coach calling that type of play? So, yeah, let's, let's just recap this again. Guys, so... You're kicking off. You are the kicker. You're about to kick it to the return team. You are standing on their 10-yard line. You're 10 yards away from their end zone. That's, that's the visual you guys are having right now. So if you kick the ball past 10 yards, it's landing in the end zone. You know, so, uh, and Chris and I really didn't discuss this a whole lot before this podcast. So, I, I mean, we're both kind of put on the spots. And I may be completely wrong here, but, so, this is my perception, Chris. Or my assumption, I mean, if the ball traveled 11 yards into the end zone and the return team caught it, wouldn't it be a touchback and they'd get the ball at the 20? It would. So, I was, yeah, so I spent some time kind of thinking about what I would do. Um, I mean, the really only two takes that I could take from it is, is doing either a middle dribble and you hope that it hits the defender at the 11, you know, maybe 10 and a half, 11 yard line, which is a half yard to a one yard uh, into the end zone, hopefully it deflects off somebody, maybe back onto the one yard line, and then your off your kickoff coverage can can get it. Or you have to do what they attempted, and you sort of do a, a left hash to right hash type of onside kick, and hope it bounces off somebody's hands and recover it. But you're sort of limited, I think, in terms of what you can try to do to. Yeah, because if you kick this it. thing out of bounds, that's a 15 yard penalty, and the other team gets the ball at the 25 yard line. So. Um, and that's actually what ended up happening. This guy, we don't know the school or the player. It's, it looks like a high school high school game. He kicks the, he kicks the onside kick and it just goes out about the three yard line. It looks like. Um, and I think what they'll do they do is, is they the other team can just can let them re kick again and and it's like a fifteen yard penalty, or they can. I think they I think can. They get the ball at the forty-yard line if it goes out of bounds from the kickoff. Oh, that's so true I, too. That's true. So I think that's probably the worst scenario out of the options is you attempt a, a kick goes out of bounds and they get it at the forty versus a touchback where the team gets it at the either twenty or twenty-five. I forget the high school rules. So but, really, uh, the kicker did the worst thing that you could have done in this situation, is he kicked yeah. it out of bounds. Um, yeah, you at least want to give yourself a chance to to recover. So this could have been a legitimate touchdown if he would have hit it at least ten yards. And one of their guys recovered in the end zone. It would have been a touchdown. Yep. And so what we'll do too, we'll we're gonna retweet this uh, Twitter link. It was done by Sports Center, so we're gonna retweet it to our Twitter handle as well, so you guys can take a look and follow along. Perfect. So uh, leading us to our third play, um, third play out of our top five was an interesting one. Uh, Brian found this one uh, through Instagram. I found uh, it on it is, is it, on Max Preps. On Instagram. Yeah. So what it is is it's a high school punter happens to uh, punt the ball. Actually, it doesn't really punt it 
super far. I think he, they snapped the ball from the 21-yard line. Ball hits the air, or you know, uh, he kicks it in the air. Obviously, it lands at the 43-yard line, which is really only a 22-net-yard punt. Obviously, there's some sort of wind factor involved. Ball hits the ground. Obviously, nobody touches it initially because you got to see where that ball bounces. Well, it happens to slowly roll. What was it like 65 yards downfield, down to the what five-yard line? Uh, the overall punt was 72 yards. the The whole punt was 72 yards, and it only was punted in the air 22 yards. So it rolled 50. And yep. and it wasn't like an end over end roll. It was on its belly, literally rolling. And I don't know if it just because it the type of turf that they were playing on it almost looks a little flatter than regular field turf. But it's not old school astroturf, and I'm assuming there was some kind of a wind. But this thing rolled on its belly, 40 out of the 50 yards, just rolled all the way down to the seven yard line. It was a 72 yard pump punt. It was on Max Preps Instagram. You guys can find that there. And it, I mean, that's like the best part about punting, though, is, is if you know if you end up shanking a punt and then you get a 15, 20 yard roll. In this case, a 50 yard roll you end up having a pretty good stat, you know, on the paper, on, on the books, you know? Yeah, I think what I would do, a good coaching point out of this, now that I've watched this a number of times, and we found it, uh, I'm watching the video on CBS Sports' Instagram account. Uh, it was posted today, which is the 20th, so you could probably go back and watch it there, but I'd probably just tell the punt return team, one guy's just got to fall on it, fall on it and cradle it. You know, if it, if it appears that that ball is just going to keep rolling because you're just – you're killing your offensive setup, you know. Yeah, but, but there, uh, there were several guys around it, and as soon as some one of the other defenders were trying to come near it, those guys were, like, right on them. So I, I bet the coaches were probably just worried that they'd jump on it and fumble it and the other team would get it, you know. Yeah, in the other cases, we don't know what the score is. So maybe the team that was receiving the punt, maybe they're up by enough and it really didn't matter. But still, just interesting, kind of funny to watch. So Chris, just check it out. It's at CBS Sports Instagram account. Yeah, well. what's cool about all this is literally every week there are at least five, if not more, plays that are going viral that have to do with kicking, punting, uh, which involves snapping, obviously. Literally special teams that happens on the fourth down, you know. So this is pretty sweet. Every week, you know, and, and obviously we'd love more positive plays to go viral than negative plays, but it's crazy how much special teams play such a huge role in all three levels of football. Yep, exactly. All right, cool. So, so our number two play was uh, in Mexico. Um, the New England Patriots killed the Oakland Raiders uh, down in Mexico, and Steven Gostowski crushes a 62-yard field goal, and arguably this could have been good from 68, 69, 70 yards. I mean, it hits the net a good good ways up and this was just an absolute bomb chris it is and what's even more interesting is uh looks like it's played on grass which generally means a little bit more slippery turf as well depending on the weather scenarios so uh, hats off to you steven great job on that kick that's amazing on the right pro and gostowski's always kind of had this form where he he his body's leaned a little forward and his kicking leg lands first typically you don't do that on a field goal but Sometimes with, with form, 
guys that have been playing in the league. I think Ostowski is like number two or number three in the NFL, most accurate kicker. He's the highest paid kicker in, in the NFL, I believe. Um, you can't, you're not going to tell Gostowski, stop kicking and landing on your kicking leg when he's just putting up the numbers that he's been putting up over the years, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. So, likewise, just like any of these plays, we will tweet this out on our Twitter handle just so you guys can see it as well. Chances are most of you saw this play already by now, but if you haven't, just check out our Twitter account where we will uh, post some of these plays as well. Cool. So the number one play was in the NFL again, and I found it uh, through Pat McAfee show. Um, again, I mean, just just we we couldn't say more positive things about Pat and just what he's doing. Hashtag for the brand, you know, and and he uh, put out a tweet of Sam Cook. Um, it's spelled, I think it's spelled, is it spelled K O C H? Yep. Um, this is the Ravens punter. And uh, so if you just scroll through, it's probably like his, his 15th tweet or so on Pat McAfee's show. Um, you'll be able to see him. Yeah, K-O-C-H. K-O-C-H is his name. Uh, he's been punting for a long time in the NFL. Um, he punted the ball. Beautiful punt. Uh, inside not only the 10-yard line, not only the 5-yard line, but inside the 1-yard line. The Amazing. Ball, Put some English on it. There was several really good camera angles by the NFL folks. And the gunner comes down. He's just trying to lay out for this thing. And he made sure to not touch it. Now, where the ref was standing at, he couldn't really make a good judgment call. But the video showed that this guy, this gunner, did not touch the ball at all. And then it did the side angle. And there was literally a quarter of an inch. I'm using my finger showing Chris right now in the pod a quarter of an inch gap between the line and the football and it stayed on that quarter inch line and what would have been the most arguably the, the best punt ever downed and it ended up getting um, taken back by the refs uh, they didn't have enough evidence to overturn the call it's amazing every punter's dream really to have that ball that rolls out at the one let alone stop at a half yard line you know quarter quarter yard line so, guys, that's our top five today. Number four was actually more of an interesting play, not necessarily a top play. Um, if you want your play to be featured on our podcast, to be talked about, to be tweeted out, potentially to be on Instagram, please do not hesitate to send us a DM on Instagram. Do not hesitate to tweet at us. Chris's Twitter is SpecialTeamsFB. Mine is Team Jackson Kick. Or you can even tweet at us at 4th Down. EXP. Um, we're very tech savvy. We're into so- social media very much. Uh, you can send us DMs on IG at Fourth Down Experience, Special Teams FB, Team Jackson Kicking, Brian Jackson 20, Chris Hughesby. Yes, we manage several accounts, probably too many for our age. But uh, <laughs> look, you got to be into social media if you wanna if you wanna do great things these days. So um, next up. We are going to move into our special guest appearance. And so um, while Chris uh, gets Coach Feely on the phone, are you going to be doing that or do you want me to be doing that? Uh, You got it, sir. Cool. Um, I will be doing that. Chris is getting his list of questions ready. Um, And I can see the questions here. Perfect. Cool. Uh, And I will will let... uh, 
when we get Coach Feely on here, I'm going to let um, Chris do his intro. Chris knows Coach Feely a little more than I do, um, but I'm excited. I am stoked for this interview, special guest appearance. Uh, this is only going to be getting better. Mark Lewis set the tone with an awesome interview last week, and uh, so I'm going to go ahead and call Coach Feely right meow. Hey, Brian. Hey, Coach Feely. How are you? Hey, How are you doing? How's it going? Hey, Chris. How are you? I'm doing great. You are on the 4th Down Experience podcast right now. How are you doing? Oh, man. Thanks for the warning. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's great down here in Tampa, Florida. The weather's awesome. I think you are in the one state that is consistently warm year-round. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> that is true. We had a heat wave up here in Minnesota. It was about uh, 40 to 45 degrees, so it was uh, outside lesson time at that point. So uh, Yeah. Well, as you know, Chris, I lived my thirst, first 35 years of my life in Minnesota, so I'm well well aware of what it's like. That's right. You are one of us. You are one of That's us. true. I am a Minnesotan, for sure, and I can <laughs> prove it with my accent. <laughs> That's right. And actually, what's interesting, Brian, weren't you born in La Crosse, Wisconsin, too, or something like that? Or? Yeah, I was actually, uh, my dad um, worked for the government, and we moved around a good bit uh, before we got settled in Bama, and I was actually born in La Crosse, Wisconsin. I was only there for one year, and then lived the rest of my life in Alabama. Oh, okay, <laughs> so you don't really remember La Crosse? No, not at all. <laughs> okay. It's a good college yeah. town, Brian. It's a good college town. That's good. All I know is that it I, is. there's a space between L A and C R O S S E. That's all I really know. I think all the people from Lacrosse would be just turn, rolling over right now if they heard that. <laughs> yeah. um, it's actually quite a beautiful place. That's what I've heard. Yeah. yeah. So Chris, uh, give a little bio, a little intro for Coach Feely here for our our listeners. Um, for sure, 72 listeners, uh, if not more, after this podcast. Please um, do a little intro of Coach Feely here. Sure. So, so Tom Feely, obviously I want him to talk about his background a little bit here too, but uh, Tom's a guy I got to know about 10 or 12 years ago when I was pursuing the NFL and um, was looking to try to get involved in the kicking world, in the kicking industry, and uh, Tom happened to be running a, a camp in Minnesota and through some mutual connections, uh, we got connected up that way, and I helped support him in a camp, and we stayed in contact for a while, and then an opportunity came up where um, I was uh, uh, growing the Kicking Academy, and, and Tom and I connected, and we ran uh, camps together for four years, uh, had a good successful run there, uh, running the top-tier All-American camps um, uh, in Minnesota, Florida, and, and, and various spots throughout the United States, and... Uh, and then obviously uh, Tom can talk about it too, but had some heart complications uh, and, and surgery, and so we kind of put it on hold. And and uh, just recently, actually, kind of reconnected about everything, and, and we're going to be joining, or Tom's going to be joining us, and we're going to be collaborating on on some camps coming up. So, so we're really excited. Uh, Tom's a phenomenal coach. Uh, you know, he's one of the few coaches out there that I learned quite a bit from in my development as a coach. So. Uh, we're excited to have you on, Tom. Um, kind of wanted to have you talk about yourself because you just have a good 
history of a lot of things and just you've been around the industry for so long. So um, I guess, Tom, I wanted to just sort of ask you the first question. You know, you've, you've been a football coach for a long time, kicking coach for a number of years as well. Um, how long have you been doing it? And then how did you get into coaching? Oh, my. I think I was born into coaching, Chris, honestly. My dad, as you know, was was a coach for 45 years at, at the college you went to and the co- same college you're coaching at right now, uh, St. Thomas University, although in those days it was called the College of St. Thomas, um, and that's where every one of my family also attended uh, for college. Um, so I grew up on that campus. That was my playground as a kid. <laughs> and uh, I, I went to all of his games. He coached three different sports. And, uh, you know, he started out coaching football, basketball, and baseball. And then he coached basketball and baseball primarily uh, for quite a while, uh, like, you know, 44 years, and uh, um, had great success. And so I, I learned from him. I mean, we were a very athletic family. I had four brothers. We uh, all competed in sports and were very competitive with each other. And, and so our whole life was, was centered around faith and sports. Those two are, are the main themes of our lives. Um, so, I, you know, when I was really young, Chris and, and Brian, um, I had the opportunity and fortune because my dad uh, – uh, in the summer would run sports camps at the college. That was like his summer form of income. Uh, you know, working for a, a small Catholic college, he didn't make a lot of money, so he had to do something in, in the summer, and so he ran camps, much like the rest of us do. And his camp um, became extremely popular. It was called a, you know, basically he called it an all-sports camp. And um, so he ran it, and I was in it as a child, and, and then when I got to be a teenager, he, he turned it over to me to run. Uh, and so I got to learn how to coach at a very young age. Um, and I had to coach sports I had never done, uh, you know, because this all sports camp was six weeks long. And <laughs> we, we covered sports I'd never even heard of, <laughs> but we did it all. So I had the, uh, great resources there of, of all kinds of college coaches um, with many talents to, to go to and to have them come and, and help teach it and demonstrate and stuff like that. So um, I really learned the science of coaching really, really young and in um, watching my dad coach, who was, like I said, quite successful. Yeah. Um, hey, good. He was, Coach Feely, so I got a question. I saw this on Facebook. Um, how, many, how many NFL specialists have you trained that, are, that have either played in the NFL or are in the NFL currently or, or um, former? With uh, uh, Justin Vogel, just uh, uh, playing now for Green Bay Packers, he makes my 15th guy that I trained that have made the NFL. Now, of course, some of them had very brief careers. Some of them maybe just played during during the the preseason and didn't make the final 53-man roster. But uh, quite quite a few have have had careers. Last night or yesterday, I was watching – uh, Cody Parkey played for Miami Dolphins. He's a kid I trained since he was really little. Uh, I also saw Brad Pinion playing. He's the punter and kickoff specialist for uh, the 49ers, and I trained him since he was very little. So when I talk about training somebody, I'm not saying they just happen to show up at a single camp. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I'm really talking about you know having had a long-term uh, training relationship. Right. You know, um, that's why the, for listeners that are you know they're here and 
and maybe have never heard of you, just like when we get kids at our camps that have never heard of Chris and I, it happens to all of us, I think these guys need to understand the amount of credibility and legitimacy you have and, and knowing that you've had 15 guys make it to the preseason NFL, and we're talking about specialists, and like you said, you actually train them, work with them. You know, Cody Parkey, I never trained him. Um, he just needed some extra exposure, so I only got to work with him once, and I tell people all the time that, hey, have you worked with anyone that's been in the NFL? And I was like, well, I helped Cody get some exposure, yeah. but I did not yeah. train that man. That man yeah. got trained way before I saw him when he was ready to go to the Senior Bowl. So kudos to you and, and all the success well, you've had. The, the truth is, the dirty little secret in our industry is is that uh, almost every guy that, that uh, ha has success, whether it be college or, or pros, is, is the product of many different coaches, not one guy. And oftentimes, uh, you know, people in our industry will, will brag like they're the only guy that ever coached somebody. Mm -hmm. And and really, the truth is, you know, they learn a lot from different people. Um, and, you know, and they pass through, you know, like these guys pass through me, you know, during a stage of their lives. And then they went on and got great training from other guys. And I don't ever want to take that away from that because that was also an important part of their development, I'm sure. So, you know, we're the product of many coaches, not just one, or many teachers, not just one. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, I think that's a great point right there. Um, just, you know, people see it in the industry, and, 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 you know, I think we're all blessed to be a factor or a variable of, of, of a specialist development, and so I think it's always fun to, to, to be a part of. So, Tom, the other thing, too, I guess, leading into that, um, Tell us a little bit about the Kicking Academy and, and where you're located. Obviously, we mentioned you're in Florida, but uh, how long have you been running uh, Feely Athletics? Uh, well, about 20 years now, Chris. I think I started uh, uh, after my son. I mean, uh, here's the here's the story. Jay was in high school as a ninth grader, went out for football because his dad played football and was a football coach. And but he was a soccer player, and so he ended up like many soccer players getting drafted into be, becoming the kicker. And I had been coaching football now 20 years and had a couple state championships under my belt. Um, but I never, up to that point, actually had coached a kicker. So that was the only position I hadn't coached <laughs> I had kicker and punter. I coached all the other positions, you know. Uh, offensive, defensive side of the line. I never coached a kicker, so I knew that if I was going to help him become a kicker, then I had to learn with him. So we started traveling the very next summer uh, all over the country, finding every guru we can and, and, and learning from them. And and that's really where it, it all started. Um, so Jay was more like a, a guinea pig for me than he was my student. <laughs> Uh, for the listeners, so we, learned, we learned it and tried things out and, and experimented together and, and finally figured out what seemed to work for him. Yeah, and for our listeners, too, just to connect the dots, we're talking about Jay Feely, uh, longtime NFL kicker and current TV analyst as well. That's that's Tom Feely's son. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, truth be told, when I, I really shouldn't claim him as a student because he, he was really more uh, – I was really more his student in the sense that he taught me a lot more than I ever taught him about that particular position. 
Um, but, you know, especially in later years when he became an NFL player, um, he was a great resource for me to continue to learn from him. Um, so, but he was the genesis of that um, and, and the motivation for getting started. And then what happened, um, Brian and Chris, is that I ended up um, coaching, uh, coaching the next kid at my high school and then the next kid at my high school, and every single one of them had success and went on to D1 schools. I think I had nine in a row uh, that went to D1 schools. And, and um, so, um, you know, that, that's when I decided uh, or people persuaded me to, to turn it into a business, start coaching kids from other schools. Um, so it, it really was more of a – I came up through it via coaching rather than like you guys were both great players. And, um, and, and most of the people in this industry, you know, um, played in that position. But I played football, a lot of it. Um, all through college, uh, but I was a running back, and uh, I had to learn the kicking later on. But I, I think my background, and I think what I was alluding to earlier, my background as a child and a teenager helped me not learn how to teach things, even if that wasn't something I was um, personally very uh, skilled or experienced at. Uh, I was still able to learn how to teach stuff. So. Um, that really enabled me to be able to learn how to communicate to kids how to do, a, do that particular skill. Um, and uh, so that's, that's pretty much it. Yeah, I, um, I got an inter- interesting question here for you, um, Coach. And, and real quick, a little plug here just for our, our listeners. You guys can follow Coach Feely um, on two accounts on Twitter, uh, Feely Athletics, and that's F-E-E-L-Y. Athletics, and as, as well as Coach Feely, um, follow him on Twitter, guys. Uh, he, he does a great job there. Um, I have a question for you, Coach. Um, and and I know I know uh, you don't like talking too much about your sons too much, but I think it's important. But this yeah. is this is an interesting question here. Um, you know, with with every one of your sons that have that have kicked, you know, and, and earned earned scholarships, various things like that, that had to have been nice. What was the process like? Not only as like a father, but like as a coach, and, and did it? Did things like change over the years, or explain that those feelings and that process? Well, uh, let's take the latter part first, Brian. Uh, as you know, and um, things have changed dramatically over the years. So, um, when I was uh, uh, helping Jay get at that point where he's now a, a senior in high school. Um, the process then was, was dramatically different than, than the process is today. Um, so, you know, um, I gathered newspaper articles and clipped them out of newspapers and pasted them together and made Xerox copies of them and, and uh, made a VHS tape of his kicking and his, his uh, you know, highlights and, and mailed them off to, uh, you know, colleges that, you know, I thought maybe might be interested, and, and that was a very difficult, time-consuming process. And and uh, but that's that's the way it was in those days. That's all you had, and probably most of that stuff just ended up in the bottom of a closet somewhere, and nobody ever saw it. <laughs> but um, so it, Jay was a, a interesting experience and an interesting story because. Uh, uh, he did have success in high school, a great deal of success uh, as a high school kicker. So he was pursued, 
by a number of colleges, um, largely due to those stuff I sent off to them. And um, he had five or six offers, maybe, uh, you know, different schools. But he really wasn't very thrilled with any of them. And then he had he had a uh, preferred walk-on offer with Michigan, uh, University of Michigan, that he, he, he really was thrilled with Michigan. And his dream school was Notre Dame. So to make a long story short, we actually um, left to go to Minnesota to visit our family not knowing which, uh, this is August now, or end of July, not knowing which school he was going to play football for, where he was going to attend. Um, and he, uh, he, we stopped in Notre Dame, and uh, he, we met with the coaches there, and they gave him a little tryout, and they, they liked him. And, and so, long story short, they ended up giving him an offer, which triggered Michigan to change their offer to a preferred walk-on but the, all of this was right up to the very day he reported to one of those two schools we still didn't know which school he was going to because we're, we're dealing with both schools back and forth now you would never do that today i mean that is insane <laughs> but that's just the craziness uh, of, of that era of that time and that was early 1990s like around 94 so um that was uh, just a, just a roller coaster of emotions um, going through that and is a really much more interesting longer story that I could tell but I can't do it in a short time today tonight um, about that but um, so the, the process changed throughout because of social media I think social media has dramatically transformed um, how coaches recruit as well as how recruit uh, recruits can get the word out and social media has been you know a tremendous uh, benefit and also can be a tremendous detriment uh, at the same time especially if the athlete is putting stuff up on social media that colleges will sooner or later see and and then decide not to not to pursue that person so uh, social media can be a, a two-sided uh, sword or stone that you got to be careful about how you use it uh, but but the coaches are using social media um, dramatically. Uh, I went to West Point, sat in uh, just a few weeks ago, and sat in on their uh, pre-game uh, meeting the day before their games, and it was fascinating to me to find out uh, how they pursue each, how West Point would pursue the kids that Army and Navy, uh, I mean that Navy and Air Force are interested in by following the guys that are following those schools. Um, does that answer your question, Brian? Yeah, I think that actually answered four of our questions. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, so yeah, the, the whole the whole game has changed dramatically. And uh, um, and for the better, I think, because, because of the fact that we can, guys like you and I, uh, uh, the three of us, can do so much more for our kids today than... Uh, 10 or 15 years ago when you had to pick up a phone and start calling people. You know, what we do now is far more impactful and, and uh, you know, than, than making five or six phone calls. Really, we can do so much more for them now. So there's a real benefit to it. Good. Hey, Chris, what uh, you had a question for Coach. Go ahead. Yeah, so, Tom, one of the things I really liked about our relationship, especially – as we started doing some camps in the past, I just loved learning from you because you brought 
a uh, phenomenal aspect of you know just mental focus, mental training, and and I just love kind of learning from you about what you've learned over the years. What what do you think is important for kickers in like the mental game, and 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 how do you try to apply that to your trainings? Boy, that's a softball question, Chris, because you know how passionate I am about about that subject. Uh, uh, I don't know if Brian knows this. I I uh, um, went to uh, Florida State to get my PhD in sports psychology, and nice. um, eventually, you know, I, I learned a lot while I was there about the power of mental imagery, uh, mental rehearsal, and all of that, and utilize that in, in my coaching quite a bit. But but I what that triggered in me was a fascination in, um, in mental toughness and, and what can we do to actually help or train people to become mentally tough? You know, I, I've always heard coaches talk about the importance of mental toughness, but I've heard very few ever say, this is how you become mentally tough. Uh, and I think that's primarily because that's always been, uh, one of those things that no one really understood. Um, so I've, I've really done a lot of uh, studying and reading and reading what other people say about mental, th- uh, mental toughness and, and applying it to, to the kicking game. And I, I, I find that that's probably, in my opinion, as important as teaching the skills are, teaching the mental toughness part, part of it. Um, and you have to start when the kids are young to be mentally tough because, you know, if you get them late and they're they're already not mentally tough because they were raised with a silver spoon and everything was given to them and the parents have been protecting them their whole lives, uh, it's probably too late for them to suddenly become mentally tough. So it's got to be a, a process that happens as early as possible to develop a psyche that is always going to be mentally tough in every situation. That means they can bounce back from bad situations, from failure. And, and be able to, to see what failure is and make make um, make something positive out of it and get actually better because of it. So that's an, a million toughness has been something I've really focused on a lot. Great. So, Tom, for, for our listeners here, we know a majority of them are parents of kickers and, you know, specialists in general. Do you have one or two kind of simple tips on – mental focus, mental training, or anything like that that you could offer the listeners? Yeah, well, I kind of alluded to this earlier. Parents have to teach their kids how to be mentally tough by not spoiling them, you know, not being the helicopter parent that <laughs> that will protect them from anything bad. And, I, and we all see this all the time. You know, all, yeah. all of us in coaching see the helicopter parent that – really wants to make sure that this kid is always, you know, has got a guaranteed starting spot, you know, guaranteed and stuff like that. So, uh, or, or always blaming somebody else for, for failure, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so I think we have to, as parents teach our kids to be mentally tough and, and, and if you, and then as coaches, we have to as well. Uh, and of course we generally do, most coaches do that. At least they, they, you know, want their kids to be tough and some do a better job than others of teaching them how to, how to rebound from toughness. Whereas other coaches, as we all know, uh, can just berate people for their, for their failures and make it a lot worse. So, um, you know, we, we all have to be a part of that, but it's really, it's really important to, um, let your kids fail 
and or let him be in a position where he might fail and still have him or help him work through that failure and turn it into a positive experience that they can learn and grow from. Definitely. Hey, yeah. um, I know you've been coaching football for many years and then you transformed to a kicking coach as well. What is one thing or a couple things, whatever, you know, cause there's a lot of, there's a, there's hundreds of things that the three of us like as kicking coach, but what, what's one or two main things that you enjoy about being a kicking coach? Oh God, I love kickers. <laughs> Number one, you know, I, I don't know if you've experienced this, but I have. And that is that I found that 99% of my kickers are also really good students. Mm-hmm. They usually all get really good grades. I, I really haven't quite figured out the dynamics of that, of why that is. But that seems to be the case on, on you know, and and uh, it's so rewarding. I mean, I've, and because they're good students, they're also generally nice kids. And it, it, they're just fun kids to coach. Mm-hmm. And if they're if they're enthusiastic and most importantly coachable, um, then it's a great experience. You know, if they're coachable, they're they're wide eyed and listening to what you have to say and and, and really want to soak it all in like a sponge. You know, that's the kind of kid that really makes it gratifying um, mm-hmm. to do this job. And then and then when you see some of those kids just have great success. Uh, then it's fun to just sit back on Saturday or Sunday and watch them, watch them on TV having great success. Nice. Knowing I, I had I had a little bit to do with that, you know. Uh, so that's 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 the real blessing there. Um, but I think the best part is when they come back to you many years later and thank you for what you did for them. And it's almost always not about what you taught them in terms of skills, but it's about what you taught them that has benefited them throughout their lives. And, and and that's the most satisfying part of it. Yeah, I I can totally agree with that. Um, I I think the one word you were looking for though, is I think a lot of specialists, there's an aspect of being a perfectionist. And, and I think that translates a lot to school. And then obviously, you know, with kicking or punting or snapping, you know, there's an element of, okay, I can kick it 30 yards. All right, cool. Now I want to try to hit it 35 and then 40. So they're, they're always striving to do better. And I think that translates a lot in school. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, you, you said, Brian, you were you grew or you were at least born in Wisconsin, the greatest coach of all time, coach the Green Bay Packers, Vince Lombardi. And, you know, he, he, he was a he was huge on being a perfectionist about every little detail. Everything you do, you have to be a perfectionist. And uh, I mean, I, I can paraphrase, I can't quote him exactly, but, you know, when he talked to his very first Green Bay Packer team on the very first practice, um, he said something to the effect of, uh, um, men, we are going to strive to be perfect in every single thing that we do. And then he went on to say, none of you are going to achieve perfection because you're human. But in the process of trying to be perfect, you may end up at excellent. And that has always, um, you know, motivated me. And, and I try to instill the same thing in the, my kids that you have to be perfectionist about details, how you warm up, you know, how you train your body 24 seven, you know, uh, how you eat, how, how you take care of 
sleep, how you take care of your relationships in life. You know, you have to be a perfectionist about so many things if you're going to be successful, truly successful. Yeah, you know, spinning off on that, the shoulda, woulda, couldas, you know, if I, if I would have changed something, just looking back on it, you know, um, my first two years at Ball State, my first year I was just small upper body, huge lower body from soccer. But um, so, you know, I, I added the 10 or 12 pounds of muscle freshman year. Sophomore year, I was probably my best shape. I was like 172 on a 5'7 frame. Uh, you know, I, I wasn't I wasn't chubby. I wasn't skinny. I was like perfect. But then my, you know, junior year, then I started getting up to 185. You know, I started getting a little sloppy, you know, and then I think at the highest I got was like 192. And then my senior year, I think I got back down to 182. Uh, but I wish, woulda, coulda, shoulda type thing. I wish I would have took care of my body more, like you said, been just more focused and more determined, more precise on what I was putting into my body and, and being in the weight room more. I, I would have been, where what I see a lot of specialists that are now, they take care of their bodies more. It seems like they really focus on wanting to be in shape more. And I wish I would have done that and took mm -hmm. that more seriously because those four precious years, some some people five, you know, um, they go by so quickly. I wish I would have been in like my prime shape all four years at Ball State. I think I just would have been benefited better holistically from that. Yeah, I think, I, I, I probably guess that every one of us could look back and say, I wish I had done this more. Yeah. I wish I had done that more. I could have been a better, I could have had more success. I think we all probably could say that. Yeah, I for think, sure. Uh, so I think Chris has one more question, and then we're actually going to keep Coach Feely on for our last segment where we're going to give feedback to the industry. Chris, you got one more question for the interview before we go on to the last segment. Yes, I do. Uh, Tom, this is a little bit off topic here from the kicking industry, but Tom, one thing I've really admired and loved following about you over the years that I've known you is, you know, you and your family have a history of, of, of charitable work in ministries, and there's a, you know, a feely family um, aspect of what you guys do to give back. Um, tell us a little bit more about it because some of them are fascinating and, and I want to get involved. I've talked about it for a while. Um, and then also just when you're done with that, if, if, if people who listen to the podcast want to support what you guys do or donate at all, just, just let us know how we can do it. Sure. Um, well, to start with, uh, the boys um, started, uh, my sons, Jay and John and, and Ryan, they started a Feely Family Foundation, um, you know, to to raise money for the purpose of helping people who uh, are less fortunate with a with a, um, a goal of improving them through giving them better uh, opportunities for a good education. And um, and then uh, in 2010, my uh, next son, John, um, went down to help right after the earthquake in Haiti. I mean, it was like a week after the earthquake, he went down there. He had no idea where he was going. He just knew he, he needed to help. And uh, so he came back from that experience. I mean, I, that had to be an incredible uh, moving experience for anyone uh, because of the devastation. But he came back with that with a determination and, and an idea to start a mission there. And... Um, and so he, he did that. He created a mission um, to reach as many Haitian kids as possible 
through the uh, through the sport of soccer. Haitians love two sports. They love soccer, number one, and they love basketball. <laughs> and uh, so via soccer, uh, he, he felt he could reach more kids and, and, and then hopefully um, guide them into a, a life that would give them a better life uh, through education. And so he, he started his, his mission down there, and the rest of the family jumped in. Uh, all of us started going down and going to the mission. And we would put on soccer camps, free, of course, for all the kids. And typically what would happen is the first day we'd get about 20 kids, and the next day we'd get about 100 kids, and then by the third or fourth day we'd up, be up to about 300 kids. Um, wow, that's and they, amazing. they literally walked from 15, 20 miles away, coming barefoot, you know, just a pair of, pair of shorts on, and that's it. And, and, you know, they just, they wanted what we were, what we were doing there. And we just had a blast doing it. Um, so we would, we would, um, you know, we would give them clothes, we would give them food and water, which they desperately needed. Um, but the big, the big thing was to help them through their, uh, help them get a better education. So we did a lot of talking to them about that, uh, while we had them, uh, had them as an audience. Um, ultimately one of the real cool stories that came out of that is um, we we all became uh, very close friends with a young young lad named Delmont Webnar and and um, actually Webnar is his real first name we just call him Delmont which is his last name and he was he acted for us as a uh, interpreter because he could speak fluent English uh, at least more fluent than than anyone else there so he became our interpreter and he was probably 14 years old when we first met him. Um, by the time he reached 18, he uh, had a high school diploma with really good grades, but there was no way he could get out of uh, Haiti. He had, his family had a, came from a large family. They didn't have a home at all. Their home was destroyed in the earthquake. So the first thing we did was we built them a home and put the whole family up, gave, gave each kid of their own room in a nice little home. And then... Um, we brought, we were managed to get Delmont to come to the United States uh, to go to college, and he attended Grand Canyon um, University down in Phoenix and played soccer for them um, for the last three years, and he was also the student athlete of the year for their entire conference. Wow. Um, and did a tremendous job in soccer for them, was really, uh, really, really successful, and then he ended up transferring to a D1 school this year. He's, got, he's finishing up right now his senior year um, in college. And um, so, you know, we, we, we took care of him. We, we got at least one guy through college, <laughs> and that's a start. So we, we, we want to continue doing that, um, continue going to Haiti and helping out because their needs are endless. Probably the, you know, I know, Chris, you talked about shoes, and I, I used to uh, – bring thousands of pairs of shoes down there um, that I would uh, confiscate from the lockers that were uh, shoes that were left behind after the kids left for summer vacation. And mm-hmm. I'd go through the lockers and grab all their, their leftover shoes and bring them down to Haiti. And they were, you know, it was great. That's but awesome. the most important thing that we need is, is, is actually is, is money because that's the, the biggest barrier is uh, money. And we also want volunteers to come with us and, um, you know, and, and just work with the kids and, and be a part of it. 
Well, that's awesome. So what we'll do, guys, for people who have interest in either getting involved or donating and that sort of thing, uh, we'd encourage you guys to go check out feelyathletics.com. And under the About tab, talks about the World, Minist- uh, World Ministries Football Club and the charitable things that Tom does. And, and uh, feel free to reach out if you'd like to help out. I know at some point here I'd like to get involved and, and, and go down to Haiti and, and support everything and, and do it when you oh. guys do it. So we'll, uh, we'll probably have to podcast about that later on when it's getting closer to that date. When you guys yeah, it would be great to have both you and Brian join when, us down there. When, I think when, you would be uh, you'd be a great asset to it. When do you guys typically go down? I don't know the exact dates, Brian. I'll let you know when when we're going this year. All right, cool. All right, awesome, man. This has been a great uh, interview with Coach Feely. Um, again, you can follow him at Coach Feely F E E L Y on Twitter and Feely Athletics. And uh, we'll ensure to tweet some stuff out. We're going to keep Coach Feely on. Uh, we'd like for him to be a part of the third segment, uh, which is industry advice. Um, this segment, actually, since we had so much interaction um, on Instagram, we asked you guys on the last podcast to go to Fourth Down Experience Instagram and comment questions. And we actually got one, two, three, four, five, six questions. One of those six is a snapper, which is pretty sweet. Um, we have six questions here that we're going to field, whether it be the three of us answer or two of us or one of us. Uh, how do you guys feel about answering these questions? Let's do it. Fire Great. away. Cool. Um, we're going to give the guys a little shout out here too. Um, so at least 70 people will hear your IG name. Probably by uh, the second podcast being out, we'll probably, probably have over 100 subscribers. But this first one is from Zach Copeland, uh, Z-A-C-H-C-O-P-E-L-A-N-D underscore. He asked, um, what's the hardest part about getting noticed being a high school kicker and also any good tips on getting noticed? Well, that's a loaded question. Hardest There's quite part, a bit that you can talk about, too. Hardest, think, part, uh, hardest part about getting noticed, noticed being a high school kicker. Are you asking me? Yeah, what do you what do you think, Brian? The hardest part about getting noticed by a kicker? Um, I, I would say, uh, I, I don't know if it's the hardest. I'd probably say it's probably one of the top three things is kickoff. Kick, kickoffs is, is, a, is an area that college coaches measure a lot. So if I have one guy, if I have two guys that I'm really looking hard at and they both can hit 50-yard field goals, all right, and I have one guy that can hit 70-yard kickoffs consistently, but I have, I have this other guy that hit, can hit 50-yard field goals that can only hit it flirting with the goal line on kickoffs. Most college coaches that I've been around, they measure kickoff distance a lot. They say, okay, if this guy can kick at 73, 74 yards this consistently, he's got to be able to kick a field goal at least 50 yards. So I think um, one of the hard parts is guys that get upset and – mad at their coaches on not letting them kick touchbacks is uh is is kickoffs you know if, if you have a coach that doesn't trust you or if you're not showing in practice that you can't get it to the end zone well enough well then you're going to be doing pooch kicks and squib kicks and maybe even onside kicks and so if if you if you're not hitting it out of the back of the end zone or or at least 68 yards consistently then it's going to be hard for you to get noticed unfortunately now there's there's ways around that there's but I'm just, you know, this is a quite. These are questions that are hitting us off the top of our head here, and that's just my quick, oh, quick little answer. Well, if I can segue with that, um, I, I, 
often said a, a saying that I heard uh, my son say from his NFL experience is that uh, kickoffs will get you the job and field goals will keep you the job. Oh, you know? that's, and, a good one. Uh, that's a nugget that right, there. right there. We got to put that on that, a quote. That's, that's with, it in a nutshell right there. Coach Feely's you know? picture in the background, and that needs to be a quote right there. Say that quote <laughs> again, Coach. Say that quote. Well, the quote again is kickoffs will get you the job and field goals will keep you the job. That's, that's brilliant. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, and it's because of that mindset of that, that fascination with the strong leg uh of the of, of the college coaches or the coaches whoever whatever level they are they're fascinated with that strong leg and they just figure if you can kick it like you said brian uh through the end zone then certainly you can kick 55 yard field goals no problem um the trouble is is there are two quite different things there's a much smaller window for field goals and so you can't do a field goal the same way as you do a kickoff so or quite the same way so um because of the fact that you have to be much more precise and accurate. Yeah. Um, so, and, and, you know, I think, I, so I think you're right, Brian, you're hundred percent correct that, you know, having that strong leg is a big factor uh, in getting noticed. Um, the other thing is I've always said is seen is believing. So I really believe that for most college coaches, they, they, don't really trust what they see necessarily on video. They're not sure, you know, what's, what they're missing, what's not being shown to them, uh, or even necessarily what people might say. Mm -hmm. So they really want to see the guy firsthand, mm -hmm. uh, to be able to be really certain that, yeah, this is somebody I can gamble on. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the other thing too, I'll just leave it at three here, uh, is, uh, relationship building. And that's that's something that kids are are certainly not uh, well coached at doing, and that is developing uh, a relationship with coaches that they're inter uh, that are at schools they're interested in going to uh, via how, whatever social media or personal contact. But getting a relationship started, a communication process started, is I think really important. Um, and because I think for coaches, it's kind of like it's kind of like dating in a sense that, you know, they, they, uh, they want to, you know, they're, they're interested in how much money you might have, but they really <laughs> like a girlfriend with a boyfriend, you know, they're, yeah. they're interested in how good looking you are and how much money you have, but they really want to know that in the end, you're not going to let them down. Right. You know, that, that yep. you're going to be reliable and, and responsible. So, so with coaches, it's kind of the same way. They got to get to know somebody to feel comfortable in trusting them. Yeah. And that, that means communication. Yeah. So Zach Copeland underscore, we hope that helped your question out. Thank you for interacting with us. We're going to move on to the next one. Chris, uh, we're going to throw this one at you. It's from Hayden period H 27. Chris, he asked, should I adjust my steps anytime when kicking from the hash? And I'm assuming sure. he's talking about field goals here. I'm assuming. Yeah. I, I assume so too, and and that'd be a definite yes, you know. And and the biggest thing, guys, with field goal kicking is is you got to have a consistent step pattern and process, and, and a consistent ninety degree angle. So if you're kicking down the middle of the field, it's it's a little it's obviously easier to to align your ninety degree step. But when you're from the hash, you're going to have to adjust your body a little bit more. And what I always tell kickers is, wherever you spot the ball, whether you're practicing kicking from a tee or you got your holder there. Uh, you know, you want to start off 
with your hips, shoulders, and feet aiming towards the upright, whatever angle that is at. And you take your steps back that way, and you got to make sure you have a good, clean 90-degree step angle at that point. And then your approach to the ball is exactly the same. And, um, and then you got to make sure that you finish and, and end with your plant foot pointing towards your target. And then the rest of it, the natural motion of your body and follow-through towards the target should, should kind of uh, fall into place as if you were kicking down the middle. But I'd say, yes, you for sure need to um, adjust your angle is probably the better answer to that question. Your, your step shouldn't change. If you're kicking down the middle or or from an angle, it's more the uh, the angle yeah. that you take when you when you take your steps. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, and these guys can come to our camps and come to our trainings and, and get more details. But for sure, I think that that definitely helped. Aiden Hayden period H twenty seven answer that question. Uh, we're gonna go to the next question for Coach Feely here. Um, this was from uh, I S S A Maxido, and I know these younger guys they like to say Isa like like it's a so Isa Maxido. Asks Coach Feely on kickoffs: Is it mandatory to take five plus steps? No. <laughs> no, I, I. There's a lot of guys even in the NFL that just do three steps and kick the ball and they just drill it. You know, and uh, I always say, you know, it's it's not about how fast your body's going that matters. It's how fast your foot goes through the ball that matters. And and if you're if you're taking a lot of steps and sprinting at the ball, especially if you're sprinting at the ball you're 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 not going to be able to get a, a good strong and fast kick because all your all your efforts in in the forward motion of mm-hmm. running so um you know I, I i tell kids personally i don't really care how many steps they take i don't have a formula for that the most important thing in my opinion is that they trust their steps yeah that they they trust their steps so much they never have to think about their steps because mm-hmm. they just know their steps are fi- are fine, and so they're thinking about something else, like their follow through or or some other aspect of to get a good kick. But their steps, they don't even have to worry about. They trust them. Yeah, I you know I remember I tell kids this at practice back when I played when the, in the late nineties in high school and then in, and then college in the early two thousands. There weren't kicking coaches around at that point, or or it was hard to know about them because. Uh, internet was kind of out and facebook wasn't out yet i remember at st thomas university st thomas i realized i could kick the ball a little bit farther on a five-yard approach than like a nine or a ten or an 11-yard approach and naturally there's there's benefits you know to to come from a deeper angle as well and and, and as long like you said tom if you can control your approach to the ball and your steps are the same it, it doesn't matter as much but I just remember in college figuring out that, hey, I only needed to be five yards away and I could get mm-hmm. that ball a little bit farther. And that was probably just more my my line I took to the ball and, and just my body control at that point. Yeah, so Issa, Maxito, we hope that helped answer your question. We appreciate all of you guys that have interacted with us on social media. And we hope you guys uh, understand that, you know, we're, we're one of – I think we're the only coaches that are giving free advice – out there right now i mean literally free advice and uh we're going to just answer all these questions here um ryan novo 17 asked how do i determine steps back on a kickoff and i think you know a lot of this just kind of caters to how we coach individually you know in our own styles um the one way that i learned on determining my kickoff steps was from um, Carol White. And Carol White was like the only Southeast Southern coach 
for kicking, punting, and snapping for several years uh, down here, at least in at least in the hotbed market of, of Alabama, mm-hmm. Georgia, Mississippi, Louisiana, and, and Florida, and, and you know a little Florida and yep. Carolinas. Yep. Um, and what she had us do is is we would put our plant foot right next to the tee like normal on a kickoff, and we'd be facing downfield, and then she would have us actually turn around and face where we would be standing at in our stance and put our left foot in front and just have a partner kind of off in a distance and we'd run and take our steps and wherever we planted at, our partner would stand there. And then we'd run back to the tee, take our steps back and over like an L shape, 90 degrees, and that's kind of how we, how we got our steps. And that may sound kind of confusing um, here uh, listening-wise, but visually we can we can show those things at camps and whatnot. But that was an easy way. I just know if your plant foot is, is planting short of the line on your kickoffs, then we need to make an adjustment. Because if you're planting two or three inches short of the of the tee or the white line, your kicking leg has already made full lock extension, and it's going to be on the uprise, and it's you're probably going to get a lot of toe up high on the ball and hit more of like a shank and a squib to the left. So I just tell guys, if, if your plant foot's not on the line at least – on a kickoff, then we probably need to make a little bit of adjustment. You guys got anything you want to spin off on that? The one thing I always, yeah, the way you you tell it, Brian, is is actually how I learned it back in the day. I went to the St. Olaf College kicking camp. That was my first ever camp I ever went to. But um, I try to do the same thing. Um, I tell kids to do about two or three dry runs just like that, and hopefully you mark it with some tape. And then you just kind of, then you kick two balls from every piece of tape, and by process of elimination, you figure out what feels the most natural, you know, because in our industry, kicking, punting, snapping used to feel natural as well. It can't feel forced. Okay. So, also, I'd like to I'd like to reiterate what what uh, Brian said about that plant foot position. I think that's uh, very critical to getting a, a good kickoff. Like he said, you got to have that plant foot make that line, and 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 a lot of kids aren't aren't doing that. They, their last step is taken too far away from the from the plant foot target mm-hmm. and and so they're reaching to get there and they oftentimes are short and and so they, they don't get good kicks from that you know they got to be uh, compact and so that last step has got to be not a reaching step step but a a, a shorter powerful step and mm-hmm. your plant foot's got to be get to that line so that your uh, your body is in the zone of power um where you're going to make great contact on the ball and get that leg lock. So, exactly. Brian, you're absolutely right. Thanks. Ryan Novo, 17, you just got three guys to answer your question. We hope you appreciate that. Maybe you can tell a couple other kickers you know about our podcast, maybe our camps. We'd love to see you at our camps. we got two more questions here before we wrap this second episode up. And uh, the last kicker, and then we'll do the snapper. This kicker asked, uh, his name is uh, A. Period. C-H-R-A-N-K-O, and the number eight. Um, he asked, at your senior year of high school, how far should you be able to kick in order for colleges to notice you? So my take on that, you know, a little bit of a judgment call based on their abilities. So what I always tell athletes is the bar you got to reach. At least that's where I initially start. And I think for guys that want to strive to be Division One kickers, you know, like we talked about earlier, the kickoff leg is what gets you noticed. And I usually tell guys, 
if you want to have that chance for Division One schools to be looking at you, you should be able to, at a minimum, hit about a 3-7 hang time on your kickoffs and be kicking the ball about 65 to 70 yards. So I always tell them that's the bar to strive for because kids develop in different ways, and once they get proper technique from a good kicking coach or snapping coach, you know, they can improve quickly. So I usually start there in terms of my advice, um, and then I just say proportionally based on your hang time and distance, um, it kind of falls into place at the division level that, that you may fall into. And But then I also tell guys just because you may end up at a – Division two or Division three school, is, 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 there's nothing wrong with that because a lot of schools out there at those levels have great football programs, great educations as well. Great. All right, our last question we have, we'll let Coach Feely take this. This is from a long snapper. It is okay. from Kyle, period, Gasaway, 17. He asks, I'm a long snapper, and I'm at the end of my junior season, so that would make him a 2019. That would make him a 2019 19, class. yeah. Where should I be in my recruiting process, and what steps do I need to take uh, to, to leverage myself in the recruiting portion? Well, Brian, uh, is, it, is his name – what's Kyle. his first name? Kyle. Kyle. Kyle, you know, you're in a good position. If, if, you're, if you're a good snapper, you're, you're one of the most highly sought athletes in terms of positions – because good snappers are like gold to a college coach. Um, and so it really, it's just a matter of making sure they know who you are and, and what you're capable of. They can see it on tape. They can see it at camps. And, and maybe you get to go show them in person at one of their camps. And, and, and you know, through those things, you, you're going to be, uh, be highly sought after. I, I have the best success. The, the highest rate of success with snappers because of the fact that it's economics, it's supply and demand. There, there are no very few really good snappers out there. And, and they don't spend much time at high school levels training snappers at all. You know, so, so there aren't very many good ones. So if you're a good snapper, you're in a great position. Awesome. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if anything, I, yeah, I say the same thing as you, Tom, you don't have to be excellent. You don't have to be great. You just got to be good. And consistent, you know, but obviously you can be better than that, and that, that brings you a long way. But yeah, you know, Kyle, maybe just what I would do is one thing I learned from Coach Husby is get five balls and put them right there and get a camera on you, turn it sideways. We call it landscape, and, and maybe just try snapping five consecutive balls at the goalpost, you know, make sure it's about chest high on a body, and, and then put that out on Twitter, tweet it out, and, and then go follow 100 college football coaches and see if 20 of them will follow you back and then they see your your pinned tweet of snapping five bullets at the crossbar you know or at the bar of the uprights um and that that'll help you get noticed as well so um well hey guys this is episode two of uh, the fourth down experience podcast every tuesday we hope you guys enjoyed this um before we do our final outro uh chris tom do you guys have anything that you guys want to say well, I, I just want to say I'm, I'm really grateful for the two of you, uh, uh, including me, and on uh, not only this podcast, but uh, on future camps that we're going to be doing together. Um, and I, I, I'm really, really excited about it because I know Chris real well, mm-hmm. known him for a long time. We've been friends for a long time. And I, I've heard so many good things about you, Brian, from everybody. 
students, you know, athletes as well, and parents, everybody. So I Thank feel you. really, really glad to be part of this group. Your feelings mutual. Thank you. Yeah, so, you know, we just want to thank you guys for listening. Hopefully you enjoyed uh, the topics that were covered. Um, Tom, it was fun to listen to your stories. I know I've some of these I've heard in the past, and I just love hearing them. And, and hopefully hopefully the parents and the kids all got something out of that too because there's a lot that can be gained from this. You know, and just like any camp out there, if you can take a few nuggets from this podcast and the, and the, and the uh, tips that were given – you know, use it for your growth and development. You know, you know, if you can, share it with your friends, other kids in the industry. Let them hear it as well, and, and help it benefit your friends too. Um, and so, Brian, why don't you just uh, let everybody know some of the camps that are coming up too? So, if they want to join us at a camp, learn from a few of us or all of us uh, together, the three of us collectively. What do we got coming up that uh, those kids can join us at? Yeah, you know, um, we're working on getting Coach Feely at the December camp in Mississippi coming up. So for those of you that are listening that um, are coming or want to come, uh, good chances that Coach Philly will be joining us. Uh, December 9-10 in um, Petal, Mississippi. Basically, it's Hattiesburg, Mississippi. It's more of like a regional showcase, but we're still going to be doing instruction and training and film review and recruiting talks, as well as competing and getting ranked. Um, and Coach Hughesby will be there as well, as, as well as Coach Lewis. Uh, Brad Hatfield, Greg Pittman, and some college guys. Uh, moving forward, um, we're going to do a mini camp up in up in uh, Minnesota, uh, December seventeenth, and then a showcase up in um, Minnesota as well. Or it's our northern showcase in January. Um, Coach Feely's got some events going on, whether whether it be training or camps down uh, in Tampa, and we're also working on some things uh, coming up soon, whether it be in Orlando and or Tampa. Uh, that we're going to be um, collaborating with and, and, and holding some events down there with Coach Feely. Uh, we also got a camp in Atlanta, February 10th, um, so we're excited about that too. You guys can find all this information at all of our websites, whether that be teamjacksonkicking.com, specialteamsfootballacademy.com, and feelyathletics.com. Guys, um, make sure you interact with us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, social media, um, Chris, it looks like you're itching to say one more thing. <laughs> you good? Yeah, I'm good, man. This has been great. Cool. I'm just running ear to ear. I've, I've enjoyed this one. Yeah, great podcast. Really appreciate Coach Feely and his time. Uh, it's at, he's actually an hour ahead of us he, down, in, uh, down in Tampa, so it's almost midnight for him. Um, so we thank all of you guys for, or, uh, for listening. Uh, but anyways, hey, er, podcast every Tuesday. Uh, we appreciate your time. Um, have a good rest of your day thank you chris, uh, chris and brian thank you yeah thank thanks you. tom we'll see you later, later. peace okay. thank you for listening to the fourth down experience be sure to subscribe on itunes follow us on facebook twitter and instagram at fourth down experience